Justin, this weekend, some 102,000 gathered in one place at one time. They stood next to each other and I was probably sad. They drank cold drinks. Jubilee, jubilant excitement at the very end. Then they all rushed even closer in together uh, into a center space. They vandalized their own facilities that they own. They took their vandalized facilities that they, they stole from. They threw it in the local river. And this was all done in the name of college football. Can you believe that such a thing happened this weekend, Justin? I can believe such a thing happened. I mean, except for the fact that it was Tennessee beating Alabama. That was not true. Hard to, to believe. Yeah. There are kids in your youth group, Justin, yeah. who have lived their entire lives and never seen Tennessee beat Alabama. Can you believe that? Can't say that anymore. Yeah, now you can. But the 16 years it was. Right. 16, and they played in the COVID year, too. So it right. was 16 full years. That's crazy. Um, unimaginable. 102,000 people, presumably five. I don't know. What do you think percentage of that were Alabama fans? Maybe 5,000? Five, uh, I don't know. Maybe 10,000. So uh, a chunk of those people disappointed, but 90-some-odd thousand people, pure jubilee. Uh, they rushed the field. They tore down the goalpost. I saw a video where as the field goal like goes through the uprights and as people start going crazy, you can see a guy already taking off the pads from the goalpost. Like he knew it was going to happen. Oh, yeah. I mean, you – you had to know it was going to happen. Did they take down the one that the field goal was scored on? I don't I think, know. I, I figured think so. they took both down. No, I, I think they only took one down. Oh. oh. But they got a brand new one. I, so today I was sent to TikTok, and it was the Tennessee like university or the athletic department uh, taking a video of the new goal post. So they got it up there. I have I have been witness to multiple uh, tearing downs of the goal post, and I've never seen somebody just take one down. It's always really? been both, yeah. Well, they only took yeah. one out to the river. So that's Man. a real thing. They took one of the goalposts out of the stadium. <laughs> they threw it in the local river. That is fantastic. You know, um, there was a video from the president's press box, like the president of the university. Um, and they were like, when they were tearing down the goalpost, the, somebody turned to him and said, how much is that going to cost? Or no, I guess it was in regards to the to the storming the of the field, because that's, yeah. that's a fine both things obviously cost money because they had to replace the goalpost. And so how much is that going to cost? And the president's just like, it doesn't matter, as he lights up his cigar. <laughs> nice. I mean, also, we've nice. neglected to mention all 90,000 Tennessee fans lit up cigars at the same time. That's that is insane. Wow. It was quite the game. It was. It was fun to watch, and you thought Tennessee was going to give it away there at the end. Yeah, yeah, they had the turnover. That's the things when you play Alabama, you have to withstand those freak penalties or, or not penalties, but freak plays that happen. Because somehow Alabama is always the recipient of crazy turnovers or like in the in yep. the national championship last year where the guy caught the ball oh, sure. and then just like fumbled it inbounds but didn't yep. realize, and then the other guy just picked it up and it was Alabama ball just like that. Yep. You have to withstand those kind of things. Yep. Tennessee I, did. I'll tell you my takeaway from the weekend. I hate, hate, hate. And I will use that word even more if you want me to. <laughs> I hate Tennessee. No. I hate that color orange. <laughs> I don't love their fans. I mean, you know, like in the Christ-like way that you're supposed to. I do, sure, like, fine. But in terms of college football, if Tennessee ceased to exist, it would be a better world. And I found wow. myself pulling for Tennessee to come through wow. there then. I love college football. There's nothing in the world like it. Yeah, college, college football is the, is the best. You had a great – 
weekend of college football. Your football team didn't lose. That's exactly right. Four weeks in a row, no losses. For the South Carolina Gamecocks. We didn't play, but... Listen, I've been saying it. All right, we're going to talk about some relevant things here in a second. I've been saying it since the the birth of season two, of, or the first season of Back At It, season two of you and I podcasting together. Watch out for Clemson. They just yeah. keep winning. They just keep winning. Man, Listen, they went into spicy Florida State, spicy Tallahassee. The crowd was raucous. That team, their team came out firing on all cylinders. Clemson withstood the initial... I mean, that could have been a back-breaking kind of moment when you have this the crowds in there and then the team, is their offense was two for two touchdowns. Yeah. You know what I mean? But withstood it, won the middle eight. What was – Kind of coasted the, to victory. Yeah, what was the final score there? 34-28. Oh, okay. oh. Clemson got up 34 oh. – Clemson got up 34-14 and fell asleep. I quit watching at 34-14. Yeah. Oh, interesting. It doesn't really matter. Yeah, well, I would have just been hurt if I had watched it, so I'm glad I didn't. <laughs> Watch out for Clemson. <laughs> All right, man, let's let's talk about something that matters. Something that does indeed matter. Justin, just yesterday. It's a good thing. Today's a Thursday. We sometimes often record these on a Tuesday, but in Providence, in Justin's busyness, we're recording on a on a Thursday. And uh we were treated to just a morsel of quite the headline. Uh Stacey Abrams ran for governor in twenty eighteen in the state of Georgia. Lost miserably uh, to Brian Kemp. I'm not, I don't know. Brian Kemp seems like an all right governor. I'm not going to say sure. he's the great. Stacey Abrams would have been a, just a terrible uh, governor. Uh, she's running again, I guess, right now, and she's losing by a whole lot. Um, and she was on Morning Joe, classic MSNBC Morning Joe. Um, and she was asked by one of the people, uh, let's see if I have the quote here. I have it somewhere. Uh, while abortion is an issue, nowhere reaches the level. The, the 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 interviewer, the person asking questions, basically saying, abortion is not at the mind's interest of most voters, the majority of voters, when you compare that to the cost of things: gas, food, bread, milk, uh, almond milk. If you're in my household, gross, right? dude. What are you gonna do? She said. What could you do as governor? The interviewer said. What could you do to alleviate the concerns of Georgia voters? And she immediately went into uh, like a hawk with some with some uh, delicious roadkill. She wanted to really hammer on this thing. We shouldn't stop, you know, we should never talk negatively about abortion. And she immediately went to say that abortion uh, is a solution to inflation. If if inflation is going to be at 9% by the end of the year or whatever they're saying, well, we need to actually, we can't separate abortion and inflation. It's a necessity. Right, Justin? That's what she said. Do you have a thought? Uh well, so I'm looking at some, some quotes that are taken from that, and one, one of the responses said, you know, it's cheaper to feed your family if you kill a few of them, is <laughs> one heck of a talking point. But, man, that's, that's insane. So abortion is going to alleviate right. inflation. You can't divorce being forced to carry an unwanted pregnancy from the economic realities of having a child. That's what she said. We don't have, a luxury. We don't have the luxury of reducing it or separating uh, them out, inflation and abortion. Um, so what we've got to do is choose between paying for gas and paying for kids. Yeah. Let's not pretend that women, half the population, especially of childbearing age, they understand that having a child is absolutely an economic issue. It's only politicians that see it as another cultural conversation. They see having a child as an economic uh, what did she say? Economic issues. It's only politicians that see it as a cultural conversation. No, I think there's a lot of us that see it as a little bit more than an economic yeah. issue, Stacy. Right. right. <laughs> well, I mean, like her mom probably saw it as a little bit more of an economic issue. So, 
the reality is, sure, it costs money to have a kid, right? As a father of a year at one and a half year old, it's it's not the cheapest thing in the world. But there's a lot of government programs that help. It's not like somebody would actually, literally, be in the position of choosing between gas money and yeah. paying for a kid, right? Well, and also this just again, there is a kind of person and i'd say stacy abrams probably falls in this right now at least in the moment she had on on morning joe there is a kind of person that doesn't understand when we argue against abortion uh we're not we we are arguing it from the standpoint that humans are humans humans matter and it is just increasingly apparent in the pro-choice side of the aisle the pro-choice side of this argument that they just don't see humans as humans or babies as right. humans, and they're or they do, and they're just fine with uh, killing them. Right, uh, and that's something that's been talked about a ton. Is you know whether it's been abortion, slavery, uh, women's rights through the years, whatever. That in order to win your argument, there you've got to dehumanize the ones right. that, and and there's certainly some taken away from the humanity of of babies with this. The idea that you could even have a conversation where you say. I can't have a baby because, well, I might need to, you know, pay for something else. It just, it doesn't make sense to me. Mm-hmm. But I'll tell you this. Uh, are you familiar with the phrase, or are people saying maybe we're we're beyond the point of satire? And right, right, right. You were you you're gonna you are yeah. going to bring up something. Yeah. Well, have you heard of a modest proposal? Um, well, when I uh, planned to be engaged to my wife, I simply took her to the local <laughs> okay, water, so, the local so, fountain in downtown Rock so, Hill. Fair and enough, I, that was a modest. Yeah, proposal, no, no yeah. fireworks or anything like that. <laughs> no, no, no. Jonathan Swift's essay, "A Modest Proposal." Let me let me read this to you real quick. It is a melancholy object to those who walk through this great town or travel in the country when they see the streets, the roads, and cabin doors crowded with beggars of the female sex followed by three, four, or six children all in rags and basically begging everybody that passes by for a little bit of help. These mothers, instead of being able to work for their honest livelihood, are forced to employ all their time in strolling to beg sustenance for their helpless infants who, as they grow up, either turn thieves for want of work or leave their dear native country. So he's saying, man, it, it's, it's so hard, it's so tough to see these moms Right. Uh, carrying their kids there's three four six kids following them and you know the kids are just going to turn into thieves in the long run anyway he he waxes poetic about this for several paragraphs and then he says here here's my solution check out what he proposes i have been assured by a very knowing american of my acquaintance in london that a young healthy child well nursed is at a year old a most delicious, nourishing, and wholesome food, whether stewed, roasted, baked, or boiled. Let's eat the babies. Yeah. This, this is this is from an essay written in 1729. A, a satirical essay. A satirical right. essay. He's kind of making fun of the way people, um, the the wealthy see the poor as disposable and that kind of stuff, um, expendable maybe. We're at the point where this satire from 300 years ago is almost exactly what we're saying now. Our kids are expensive and they're going to be thieves anyway, so let's just right. kill them. Right. And let's How? make And let's make no mistake about it. Um, the people who, like you, you raise a good point, the people who make these kind of morally bankrupt, as I've heard it said, arguments, um, like Stacey Abrams did on television, 
Um, you hear that coming from uh, the wealthy side of this, or you might say the privileged side of this, because for whatever intersectionality Stacey Abrams fits into and finds herself in, she is privileged because she has voice. She is uh, relatively wealthy from the money she's uh, raised for her political campaigns and her office. Um, And uh, she's privileged to be on the news and and all this kind of stuff. She has uh, an amount of privilege. And so it is the the privileged, even people like Stacey Abrams, it is the privileged, like the wealthy, that make these kind of arguments. The poor people, uh, it is, let me me go back, it is the privileged that are the uh, rich upper class children of rich upper class people that go off to college and university that want to debate abortion because they won't have to worry if they decide to keep their child because their parents will do them fine financially. But they want to be able to argue that it's all the poor people that need abortion. Poor people... Like poorer people often don't see abortion. They see abortion maybe as an economic necessity or as a thing, but they don't see abortion as this morally bankrupt. These kids are just parasites eating off of me. No, they see it as their last resort because we've done a bad job of actually informing and resourcing mothers in need because there are economic needs, as you've well pointed out. But the poor people who think that they need abortions, they don't base it on this idea of, well, let's just get rid of the baby because it's not that big a deal. It's just an economic issue. They see it as a very hard decision to make. It is the wealthy and the privileged of all kinds of intersections that make these arguments that uh, deb- that that bring it down to this separating of the human to the actual child kind of argument. Yep. It is those kind of people. I thought when you brought up the modest proposal, though not as good as my modest proposal to my now wife <laughs> Haley, it was. Uh, I think it's funny to a modest proposal. Let's just eat the babies. Yeah, yeah. Just you know, here, here's a here's a little idea. Let's let's. Hey, and he even kind of says that those poor folks who are struggling, they can even sell their babies. Like, right. let the rich pay for them. Get it, a little bit of money a, for it, okay. right? Right. Yeah. It's just, it's insane. We we have reached, you, you don't just bring up, this isn't just one example, though. We, we have reached a time where we are really seeing satire play out in our real-life political discourse. Yeah. And I think it, it comes down to, um, or, or it stems from something that you and I have talked about week in and week out when we've recorded these podcasts, is... Uh, each side, as it becomes more polarized to the other, right and left, begins to take on its own caricaturistic yeah. Yeah. forms, right? Yeah. The right becomes a characterist, a caricature of itself, right? A caricature there we go. of itself, thank you. And the left is becoming a caricature of itself as they polarize even farther away from each other. So that you have some woman on uh, a nationally televised, a national uh, news outlet like Morning Joe on MSNBC, uh, saying we uh, will solve inflation by yeah. just having more abortions. Right. And so then it becomes like more than just the abortion thing. Like abortion is the answer. Now mm-hmm. it's not just that we need abortion. It's right. that abortion is the answer to stuff. It's yeah. Just, abortion isn't to be, as Hillary Clinton once said, safe, legal, and rare. It is to be the yeah. whatever. Uh, Let's get rid of the kids that are just going to be a burden on the system. Right, right, right. <laughs> All right, enough of that, Alan. Now it, we've it, I'm, d- I'm bummed out. I, I've talked enough about one failed candidate for governor uh, in the state of Georgia. She won, though. Don't you know that? Yeah. <laughs> Don't believe me. Just ask her. <laughs> we, Justin, haven't we learned we should never talk about you know the integrity right. of an election right. ever? You know, right. certainly wouldn't do that in the state My of man. Georgia, Justin. Come My on, man. man. I'm sorry. Now, speaking of the things uh, that you think in your mind, the many thoughts that get wrapped up sure. in there, 
that you know lots of space for thoughts so many thoughts that pushed all your hair out oh uh, man that was rough <laughs> justin uh, we've talked about a headline we're good baptists we're going to talk about now a headspace do you have anything uh, rattling around in that brain of yours yeah man rattling around up in here uh, something i've been thinking about for a couple days now is just what does it take to change the culture of a of a group of people whether that's uh, an athletic team or um you know, a family maybe, or even, for example, a youth group. What does it take to change an established culture? How do you pull them out of something that's the only thing they know? Right. Um, the reason that I bring this up, and, and listen, hear me, if you belong to my church, I want you to know that I'm not saying any of this disparagingly. Um, we've just had, you know, a little bit of frustrations here and there maybe where some things that I would love maybe some of our students to care about, they don't see the, the need to care about it. Maybe they're a little more me-focused than we-focused. And, you know, I can't fault them for that. They're teenagers. But what I'd like to do as their leader is to pull them out of that. So I've been just thinking, how can we make that happen? How can we help them to see the importance of establishing a loving church culture that cares more about the person beside me than, than myself? Alan, do you have any thoughts there? Well, I think you're right on. I think you're on the right track when you talk about as a leader. I, I, a couple, several weeks ago when we recorded one of our first podcasts, uh, we talked about this idea of leadership, what makes a good leader, because uh, I'm, I'm reading a lot on leadership right now for a particular class that I'm in. And I think you're right to say it starts with the leader. You know what I mean? Like they'll say about churches often, pastors are culture setters. I think that applies to just leaders in general, right? Certainly sure. we would say that applies to leaders in general. So it can apply to uh, pastors of a, of a church writ large, the main ca- congregation, the leaders uh, of the youth group, the youth pastor. And so it starts uh, with the leader to set the culture. You know what I mean? And so you're on the right track there with the beginning of the leader. The leader has to be focused on these things. You know what I mean? And, and model what matters. I was just writing a book review today on a book that's talking about empowering leadership. That's their main argument. Uh, Christian leadership as empowering leadership. And the first step to that is modeling what matters. And I think leaders have to, the way a leader acts is the way that the followers, um, and we don't like to use that word follower because it either connotes social media or it connotes cults, right? Right. But uh, leaders model what the followers will uh, act like. Followers will act like what they see. So as a leader models, we not me, you know, as yeah. a meter, yeah. as a leader models going after the, the 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 least of these, or going after the the one forsaking the ninety nine, just being a good Christian person to want to go hang out with people that they don't quite know, or go hang out with the least of these, that kind of thing. People hopefully will catch on to that, and it takes years. Yeah. Right. Well, and that was that was going to be my thing, you know, establishing a new culture where one already exists, and not that it's an intentional situation there anything like that but establishing this new culture you know how do you not get impatient with or even in a yeah 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 or even in a place where there is no culture and you're going to establish the culture you think is right for that how do you what was your question how do you not grow impatient when you you aren't seeing the results that you want to see well i think you trust that if the kingdom of god grows like a mustard seed you know into a tree right the smallest of things that's going to take quite the long time um, uh, or leaven, leavens the whole lump. Like if we trust that this is how the kingdom of God operates, then it's the way that we're supposed to operate in our own lives. Is, you know, uh, discipleship being that of like a person growing from a baby to a full-grown individual. If we understand everything we do, if it's good for the kingdom of God, it's good for us. 
So if we can kind of understand that, we can sympathize with that, then I think that will help our motivations to know. Like, this is the way God operates. Well, how much more so should it be for the way that a finite, sinful being sure. like myself operates? Sure. And then you pray like crazy for that. You rejoice in the little victories, right? Yeah. You know, as you see little things happen. Sure. We've, you've probably heard it said uh, sanctification is, is, is two steps forward, one step back. Right. Right. So a group that you're trying to set a culture for or anyone's trying to set a culture for is going to take two steps forward and then one step back. Right. Oh, they're really moving in the right direction. Oh, and then they fell back. <laughs> right. And right. you celebrate the little victories, I think. Right. I think that's one way that you keep yourself going because it is going to take a long time, yeah. uh, but you celebrate the little victories. Yeah. No, I think, I think that's fair. Um, it's just, you know, when you're, when you're in the moment and you, and you look around and you're so excited at, a, mm-hmm. at an event you've proposed, modestly maybe, um, you, uh, and then you don't see the results you want. You right. know? Sometimes you can question, like, is this, not is it worth it, because we know it's worth it, but, man, like, are they going to get it? Right. Uh, because, you know, ultimately it's not about – the culture that I want to establish or the culture that anybody wants to establish. When we're talking about this kind of situation, we're saying like, I think I know what God's called me mm-hmm. to. I think I know what God would have for these students. And I'd love to see them experience that right. in their lives. So yeah. patience, prayer. And teaching. Repetition is the mother yeah. of all learning, right? Yeah. We've heard that expression before, I'm sure. Sure. Repetition, the mother of all learning. So you teach and you teach on the same things over and over again. You know what I mean? You apply uh, the Bible as it fits to that instance, you know, in your case, or like as a pastor, like I'll, Lord willing, one day be a pastor, right? You, you preach the Bible to your people on a Sunday morning. You apply, you repeat, you repetition, uh, and we'll learn over time. That's fair. That's fair. And that, I think this is a helpful conversation. Um, hey, listen, sometimes on the podcast we might just have a conversation where I'm a little bummed and Alan's yeah. going to lift me up or maybe the other way around sometimes. Justin, yes. So, so uh, I appreciate that. Well, good headspace, good things to think about. Justin, as we, as my head is spacing, as I'm thinking about these things, as I'm reading headlines and headspaces, I'm feeling an ache in my head, a headache, you I, might I say. It. I see it in your face a little Justin, bit. Justin, today I was on, I was on the Internet. Um, uh oh, nothing good there. Book, <laughs> booking a uh, trying to book an Airbnb. Uh, Justin, okay. let me tell you what get, gives me a headache. Tell right, me. Uh, we've headline that that headline today gave me a headache. <laughs> Headspace, good things to think about. Maybe it makes my headache because I have a small brain and I try to think about these big Come subjects. <laughs> headache. Airbnb fees, Justin. Justin, you've booked an Airbnb before. Yeah, sure. Tell me about your experience. Sure. I mean, honestly. Oh man, this is this is gonna sound bad. I let my wife handle it. To tell you the truth, man, she she knows what she wants. Well, she, on she next week's edition of the Back at It podcast, we'll be talking about male and female authorities and uh, relationships <laughs> inside of the marriage. Uh, Justin fair, has a thing enough. or two to learn. No, fair I'm just enough. kidding. I think fair that's enough. fair. I think that's a good. Yeah. Uh, I get overwhelmed at how many Airbnbs there are. It feels like everybody's guest ba- right. bedroom is rented out as an Airbnb. No, see, my thing is like, I'm gonna find the one that I like, mm-hmm. and then she's gonna be like. No, that's not for me. Right, that's true. It's not vibey yeah, enough. Yeah, right. And well, so, that's a headache in and of itself. You know what else is a headache, Justin? Oh, yeah. You click on an Airbnb and it says $50 a night. And you're thinking, great, yes, sir. I'm, I'm only staying there for one night as right. I am. I'm booking an Airbnb in Miami because we're going on a cruise in January. So we need one night to stay in sure. Miami. So then the next day we can just get up and go to the port. Um, so I'm looking for an Airbnb in Miami. Oh, 50 days and $50 a night? What a, yeah. what a great deal. Then you get on there. $50 a night, but then it's matched with a $45 cleaning fee. <laughs> You're telling me it costs as much to clean that place as it does to let me sleep in that place, $5 less? And then you tack on like a service fee and all that uh, right. occupational fee or whatever. And you're talking about it went from $50 to $130, just yeah. like that. 
just like that place not even that nice yeah it's, the it's, fees it's just not even a deal at that point this is why I, I saw this trending about a year ago like on twitter and some social medias people like really like because airbnb is like a you might say like a freelance marketplace where anybody can put their place up you know and anybody can charge whatever fees they want to people charge crazy fees right. um cleaning fees and stuff like that occupational fees i think is another one Crazy fees, but anybody can do it. So people are like starting to wake up to hotels again, as if hotels yeah. went away for the last five years. <laughs> they didn't, but hotels aren't aren't super cheap. So you always have to look for that one Airbnb that doesn't charge the exuberant fees. Charges like a ten dollar cleaning fee. But you know what you're getting when you see that hotel fee. Oh yeah, what's that? Yeah, th- th- what it says. It's, if it says one hundred and thirty dollars, oh, it's one hundred and thirty dollars. Yeah, I thought you were meaning like no. you get to wake up and there's no, no. delicious. Hotel breakfast downstairs. Those I mean, three D printed pancakes and listen, the listen, bacon might, out the microwave. This might be a bit of a sore spot. Don't ask my wife or my pastor's family about. I don't the, even know who they are. About, about the uh, supposed delicious hotel breakfast they were supposed to get at the most recent hotel I found for everyone to stay at. So anyway, we didn't know what we were getting there. But what I meant was... Was there the, no breakfast? No, oh, no, there was not. The lobby wasn't even open when we left. Wow. <laughs> it, was, it was rough. Um, so that was quite a fail on my part. But anyway, what I meant was you see the fees for the hotel and it's not... You know, you don't feel like you're having to, to go to... You do get really levels. excited when you see an Airbnb and you click on it and then you click reserve and then that's when they calculate all the right. fees and it doubles in price. But you can find a good Airbnb every now and then. Found sure. a good Airbnb today in Fort Lauderdale, something like that. Pampano Beach. Uh, I don't think that's the correct pronunciation. What do you think it is? I don't know. I would have said Pompano. Pompano? I'm sure I'm wrong. What did I say? Somebody's going to... You said something about Pampano or something like that. Next week's podcast, we'll be talking about pronunciation and phonetics. Is that how you pronounce it, Justin? Yeah, I have no idea. I'm sure somebody's going to tell me why I was incredibly wrong there. So. You know what's one thing? All right, as we wrap up, you know what's one thing that you're not incredibly wrong about, Justin? What's that? Cold brew lemonade is delicious. It is. We were supposed to have some today. Well, okay. <laughs> I don't know yeah. which one of us failed. So we, we talked about having it here and sampling it on the, the podcast. Yes. We didn't discuss who was going to bring it. It's true. So it's like maybe you thought I was going to bring it. I forgot all about I, it. So. Oh, well, I... <laughs> Did you think I, I was going to bring it? No, I remembered it, and I just chose not to go get it. So. Wow. My bad. My malicious. Bad. Not malicious, just... Which... See, mine was just... I didn't have enough brain space to hold that memory. And we need to expand our headspace segment so we can get some of that out. There we go. <laughs> like, a, like a basketball. i got to let some air out. It's too bouncy. My head feels... Your head's too bouncy. Justin, what a good day to be... Uh, Back at it. Very good. 